Okay, this morning uh, we'll be starting in Mark 10, so if you want to work your way there, and then we're going to be bounce back to Matthew, just to kind of give you some advance notice here. One of the things I love about going on vacation, one of the things that is so absolutely necessary for me is just to have that quiet time with the Lord. Um, so while I was gone this time, just all day long, each and every day, I spent time reading through the Gospels. And just with no uh, destination in mind, just, you know, I want to read it, I want to soak it up, because I... One thing I've found is uh, definite is when you read God's Word um, and, you, and you put it down and you walk away from it, it's in you and there is stuff in there that will come out when it's the appropriate time, when it needs to be there. And, and <coughs> yeah, man, I end up writing a lot of sermon drafts when I'm... Oh, she snuck out. <laughs> Not like she's cowering. <laughs> I want to know how she did. Um, so, you know, I, I come back and I try to, uh, you know, reel, reel myself back in. And uh, this morning's message is about, is, is from my heart. And, and, I wanted to express what God's heart is, our Father's heart. And, and the content of this message um, comes from, you know, my time's grandparenting. There's, there's nothing new here that I didn't think of or have to deal with as a parent, but as a grandparent, different things happen. Um, you know, you, you're looking at your kids and life and everything differently, and you all know my granddaughter. She is just one intense girl. So we got to see her for a couple weeks. She went with us on our vacation. And uh, that was a great time. And Adrian has really had a difficult time uh, separating herself from her and coming back home. So some of what we're going to go through today is stuff that I've learned from grandparenting. Uh, I encourage you to share this message uh, from our podcast with others, uh, because I want to touch on some things and areas that are going on in our society right now that we have to deal with. Um, we can only hide out so long or so well before it finds us. And I also want to give a disclaimer that as the message goes on, it it may get a little challenging for you emotionally or spiritually and um, just you know let God have his way in you don't fight back against me um, if you want to fact check my uh, the content of my message with God in the Bible I encourage you to do that um, but it's uh, like I said it's from my heart and I think it's from God's heart as well so if you're there with me in Mark 10 verse 13 and they were bringing children to him to Jesus, that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant, and he said to them, Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And he took, his, took them in his arms and began blessing them, laying his hands on them. So the point here of this message today is that children are precious. Children are precious. Just let that word precious soak into you a little bit. What is, how does that make you feel? What, what does that mean, precious? You know. Their children are important to Jesus, and it should be important to the world. Children are tomorrow's adults, tomorrow's leaders, tomorrow's parents, and tomorrow's church members. Uh, they need Jesus. 
They need Jesus. And they aren't ready to confront evil. Children. Many adults aren't. I believe when we come here um, and we start coming to church regularly and, and learning, we discover, wow, I wasn't quite ready for what I was having to deal with. And you, you learn how to deal with it digging into scriptures. Um, many adults, though, and as you grow in your faith, you wisely stay away from evil. What do I mean when I say evil? Well, there's many definitions, but the one I want to uh, put out there for the context of what we're talking about today is that uh, evil is having bad qualities of a moral kind. Wicked, corrupt, perverse, wrong. That's evil thoughts, evil deeds, evil speaking, and evil generation. So as we go through scriptures today and my message, that's the type of evil we're talking about. On the other end of the spectrum, innocence is godly, and it should not be taken away. Children need discipling. It takes time. They, you know, coming to one year of uh, Amazing Grace Sunday School, they are not fully discipled. Um, but that comment holds true for us as adults. We, too, need discipling. In fact, isn't that what Jesus said that we should all be doing? And we also understand that it takes time. How long did it take you to be discipled, to get to a point of spiritual maturity? Um, you know, we know that the church is supposed to be about all of us edifying and provoking one another to a, a spiritual maturity. That's, that's one of the other reasons we come to church. There isn't just one reason. So in case when I asked you earlier, I, you thought I was looking for one reason. No, but certainly that hit that scripture today. <coughs> so when we look into how long and how much effort it takes for discipleship to happen, what do we come across? Sunday school teachers are critical. They're the best. I mean, there, there's songs talking about how an adult is singing, and he's singing about his faith, and he remembers how it was incubated, it was first started by the Sunday school teacher when they were a little kid. And the same with our Agape Christian Academy school teachers. Their job, their impact, their task is hugely important when we look at the context of what we're talking about today is discipling children. I want to also set something up for us as we go through today's message, and that is any discussion that we engage in over right and wrong should start at the Bible. In other words, the first comment that comes out of our mouth ought to be, well, let's first see what the Bible says. We find the relevant teaching, and then we move out from there. We examine all that we're talking about on this right-wrong issue relative to the Bible. But what, what have we been lulled into? What have we been deceived into? What we do is we let the world say, this is the way it should be, and okay, Christian, refute me. You know, um, try to... Try to uh, um, come into my world and talk with my values and language. And, and then the world pushes us, the Bible's the last thing, and then it, the, the world will um, dispute the Bible and what it's teaching. And we're in the middle. You know, we're, we're, you know, we're Christians, we're reading the Word, we're learning, and yet we have to go out into the world, and we hear the world, we engage with the world, we bump into the world, the world comes to us, we invite them in because we want to introduce them to Jesus. So we're stuck in that middle. So in any discussion, let us first discover what does the Bible say first, and then let's begin our discussion. And I say that today in case I push some wrong buttons on you. Um, you know, first ask, did he 
toss out what's in Scripture here. Is, is that what we're talking about? Is that the starting point? So much of the world and their teaching and their worldview has penetrated the church. You know, not so much here. I'm not lecturing us, but the church countrywide, worldwide. And um, churches have partially abandoned or completely abandoned biblical scripture and adopted the world's teachings and world's values. Um, so what I'm saying when I'm setting up our structure here is not um, so much what we're doing here, but more what we need to be alert to, and not so much um, what's, what is happening in any specific church, but it is happening, and Jesus said it would happen. We have to be alert and aware of the issue. So, um, today's message may not be a happy, feel-good, lovey-dovey, touchy uh, message, but it will be from Scripture. In terms of uh, immorality, I think most would agree that we as a country are that frog that is in the water that started out cold, and it's getting ready to boil. <laughs> That's where we're at. Um, I also want to say, by way of opening um, setting here, is today's scripture, both in Mark and in Matthew, where we're going next, uh, was spoken at a time when Jesus took an extensive tour. He started north up to Caesarea Philippi, which is north of Galilee, and then he came south again into Galilee. And the teachings that we're reading today, he was using, he was speaking to the apostles because he was preparing them for his death, for that time that when he was going to go away, and they had to evangelize the world. They didn't really catch on to that. They didn't understand the gravity of that assignment, but Jesus knew. And so he gave them a lot, a lot of teachings um, to disciple them, to carry on that task. And we, here today, are carrying on the same task that the apostles were assigned. Turn with me to Matthew 18. And we pick up uh, a moment where the apostles we're arguing over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. In fact, one of the moms came in, you know, Jesus, pick out, pick my sons. My sons need to be there. Which, which one of them is going to go on your right and left? And, and the apostles were arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom. And of course, you know, Jesus knows what's going on. He wasn't right there at that moment. But, you know, they're, they're pressing him, you know, who's going to be the greatest in heaven? And in this, their self-centeredness sapped. It sapped them of any loving patience they would have had, any compassion they would have had. We all know when we get arm wrestling about something and you know it's in our head and we're kind of blind to anything else around us, right? Maybe things around us are more important than what we're arguing with. And they were getting so distracted, they weren't really hearing Jesus as he was teaching. And, and he brings this up to their attention. And we're going to see in this message where um, the children get brought into the discussion. That's what we were just reading in Mark. That, you know, don't hinder them. Permit them to come to me. You, you are so hung up and worried about you and your desires and needs and whether you're going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven and you're ignoring what's most important to me. These children, I can imagine. You know how it is. We get talking and, uh, you know, we've got the children that are running around and trying to get our attention. You know, they're throwing stuff and messing around. And, and they, just, they just want attention. They want to say something. They want to be part of the conversation. And we're going, ah, get up. 
So you, that's where we're picking up this scripture. That's what the setting was like, what was going on, the emotions there. Um, we see the same thing happening in churches. The kids, they need to be sitting down, uh, not squirming, not moving. They need to be in a suit. That's the way I was when I was a kid. Yes, yeah, same here. And, um, you know, we, we're, uh, we're projecting what's important to us and, and ours, not really thinking about what's important to Jesus here. What should we, how should we be thinking about these children? What should we be doing? You know, one time I was going to a Catholic church I was, you know, fairly new that my parents went to. And uh, up there in, in the congregation, there's some, you know, little kids are making some noises and stuff. And, and other children are trying to talk and all. And the, the priest right in the middle of the service stops. And he goes, you know, uh, we spent an additional $60,000 to have a soundproof room in the back of the church. So you would not be interrupting the services and all that. So yeah, the lady got up with her, with her babies and all that, and everybody goes off into the back room. It's called the quiet room. Yeah. yeah, it was called the quiet room. Yeah. All right, well, if you're there in Matthew 18, read with me. We're going to read through verse 14. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called the little child to himself and set him before him and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, <coughs> you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as a, this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And that's in the frame of reference of, you know, the disciples have been going out and, and miracles have been happening at their fingertips. And, you know, so they're starting to think pretty highly of themselves. But Jesus kind of puts a perspective here. Um, verse 5. And whoever receives one such child of my name receives me. Now, if that doesn't frame what our attitude ought to be in church towards kids, I don't know what it does. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble... It would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Now that's some pretty bold speaking. But it's coming from Jesus, who is love and compassion and grace. And he's pointing out the gravity of our attitude and how we think about children and even more so ourselves. I mean, what is our countenance as we approach Jesus? Seven. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. For it is inevitable, but stumbling blocks come. But woe to that man through whom the stumbling block comes. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be cast into the eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be cast into fiery hell. Ten, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you, their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Think on that. Jesus, who is from heaven, who came to the earth, can speak with personal experience and authority. The angels in heaven are facing the Father and they're in complete communication. And they, angels exist, and their purpose in, in eternity is to minister to those who will inherit salvation. And so, we're seeing, we've been opening up the scripture, how important children are to Jesus, to the Father. Verse 11. <coughs> For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. 12. What do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go and search for the one that is straying? If, if it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 
in parentheses, the obedient ones that stayed in the pen, <laughs> have not gone astray. So it is not the will of our Father, who is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. As I was uh, reading this while I was on vacation, this is not the only time Jesus said this, but it's the time where it takes on the flavor of, I want you to focus on these little children, these little ones. Not, not that one stray church member left the pen, go find them. I want you to focus on these little ones and how you're treating them, what you're doing for them, what you're not doing for them. And get the Father's heart in your heart for these little children. So, the challenge becomes, as we examine our own hearts in these scriptures, are you erecting stumbling blocks for these children? Are we? Is, is society erecting stumbling blocks, preventing children, hindering children from coming to Jesus? It's, Jesus said, you know, woe to the world because stumbling blocks are going to come. He's saying, yeah, that's bad. You know, this, this is going to be trouble for you. But a greater woe is for those who are creating those stumbling blocks, who are bringing those stumbling blocks, preventing people from coming to Jesus. What I saw in what Jesus just said is, if we are hindering children from coming to Jesus, we are fighting against heaven. We have turned our face against heaven. Up in heaven, we have the Father and the angels, and they're all so loving and concerned about the children and wanting them to come. And if we are hindering them, we are working against heaven. And I don't know about you, but I certainly don't want to go up against that, that powerhouse. He said, um, it's not the will of the Father that these little ones should perish. So we need to have the same love for the children as Jesus has. So I hope to this point I've explained that I've communicated how much Jesus loves the children, how important they are to him, that um, your, your adult business is not more important than children coming to Jesus. I hope I've communicated that. I hope, I hope that's getting in, into you this morning because... We need to have that in us to go forward in figuring out um, how we're going to carry that out. You know, it said that the, the Son comes to seek and to save that which is lost. And we should too. We, we do. When we're going out to share the gospel and share the love of Christ with people, those who don't know Jesus, those who don't know the Father, they are the lost. The children that haven't had a chance, an opportunity to learn about Jesus, they are those lost ones, that little lamb that's outside the pen that is lost, that God is concerned about. You know, a father, and probably even more so a grandfather, takes care of his children, just has this great compassionate love for the children. And that's the same with our Father in Heaven. But, sadly, we as a society, as a country, are corrupting and sexualizing our children. <clears throat> and you might be saying, well, well, I'm not really doing that, Pastor, but we might just be in the boat of allowing it. You know, if we're allowing it, you know, what part do we play in that? So, the, remember back on our discussion of the world and the Bible and discussing right or wrong? Right now, the world, which is at the beck and call of the prince of the air, Satan, is having a field day 
with the children. Um, the things I'm going to be talking about are, might not be your personal experience. You might not agree with me. You might have that spiritual gift of ignoring the news and all that's going on out there. And it is a spiritual gift. <laughs> so if you struggle with the factual content of what I'm talking about, um, go home and research it. If you, I have, I've been saving articles on this very topic for the last two years, and I have over 200 articles that speak exactly to what I'm talking about. So if you need um, some background checking, let me know. And what really breaks my heart is the world is, is having a field day with our children, and it just seems like there's no resistance. Um, you know, I, I, it's so heartbreaking. So just for a moment, consider what we allow our kids to access on their phone, um, on media, um, in the neighborhoods of where the kids are led into. And, and again, I'm not pointing to any one person here. I'm saying we in a general term. Um, you know, Jesus says, we just read, it will be worse for us if we're erecting those stumbling blocks than those who are just suffering from the sin, the impact of the sin. Not allowing our children to go to church is the very sin that Jesus is talking about. How many families, how many parents do we know that don't allow their children to go to church? You know, they don't want to go to church. Parents don't want to go to church, but they don't even allow their kids to go. And, and we as a church, God bless you all, you, you've said, we're willing to go drive and pick those kids up. But we've, we've told parents you could just bring and drop your kids off. We aren't going to judge you. Just bring them. We want, Jesus wants them. <clears throat> the things that we are allowing our kids to see and hear and learn, especially in school, are all hindering children coming to Jesus. Okay? Um, they, when they come to school, they don't learn about Jesus. Um, they don't learn to follow him. They don't learn his commandments. Rather, they are drawn into the carnal and worldly things, the lust of the eyes. Uh, if you want to make a note to read Proverbs 7 this week, just see how it starts with a little deception and it goes right down to pretty soon um, the harlot's got the, the young man in the bed. It's, it's crazy, but it's so applicable to our world. So, on the other end of the spectrum, we have the law. We have churches that really major on the law and teaching kids um, the law to the point where the kids are afraid. They, they don't want this Jesus that you're talking about. They won't want to go to church. But we have been set free from the law. We've spent several weeks talking about that. So, Bring them to Jesus, not to Moses. So, this is something that um, Adrian and I have really felt strongly about. It's, it's a principle that has guided us in how we parented and grandparented, and that is choose your village and the people that you want your kids to be around. Okay? It's so simple, but it's exactly opposite of what the world says. The world says, no, 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 you can't do that. You're protecting them. Yeah. You're, you're, you're letting innocence have its way, and they're going to be innocent. They won't, yeah. So instead of the pagan village raising our children, why not have the children raised in a village that faithfully brings children to Jesus? Why not? Can't we ask that question? 
A Christian community, not the pagan society with some wheat sprinkled in. That village's schools teach the world to the children and absolutely hinders Jesus. And like the Jews, this Christian village schools the children in Scripture, and I'm saying Jews back in the time of Jesus when he was growing up. He, he's a Jew. He was born from the Jews. He went to the Jewish schools, and we find when he's age 12, he's, you know, his parents have left town and forgotten it, and they found him back at the Jewish school. It is what God wants, that we learn his scripture. That we should be teaching the children to read. Why? So they can read the Bible. So that the Bible can form their character. Teach them how to write and do arithmetic. These are all things that are necessary to interact with Scripture and with life. This village, this, this Christian village, doesn't teach children how to sin in school or how to practice other religions. And yet, that's what the public school does. They literally, literally teach them how to sin and how to worship other um, religions. They're hindering the children from coming to Jesus. Um, this, this Christian village school does not teach um, the approach on secular immorality and how to treat others. We teach the children how to treat others from scripture standpoint, from Jesus' standpoint. We all know. And if you don't know, I hate to be the one to inform you, but child sex abuse is <coughs> rampant. It is rampant. Um, it's horrific. And in fact, many in America are trying to legalize it. And this shouldn't be. Child sex abuse begins with grooming. It begins with uh, sexualizing the children and normalizing so that the child grows up thinking, oh, this is normal, this is the way life is. You know how children are. They believe right what they see. And that's why Jesus says, bring them to me early on so they can believe in me. Um, the children are being taught deviant sex ed in our elementary schools, prompted by the state and the federal government, teachers unions, all of these adults that want the children to experience it, to accept it, to find it normal. Innocence is stolen, and these children are forced to keep secrets, to keep secrets from their parents. The Bible says God gives the parents, or the children to the parents. The parents have a job to raise these kids on behalf of God. When children are sexually uh, abused, and, and I know some of you probably they experience that. It causes damage that lasts even for a lifetime. Yes, you can be delivered. Absolutely. But I think many would agree that the damage can last a lifetime. All right. So, why is child abuse so rampant? And I'll give you my three reasons. Number one, because of broken families. Broken families. Non-existent families. Uh, we all know this. We know children that are living in a broken family. Many of us have come from broken families. We know this is real. This is legitimate. Um, and we know that the Bible teaches that we should have a, a strong family unit. Number two, pornography. And number three is blatant grooming and molesting going on in the school, in some families, and even some churches. Um, 
in my opinion, when I look at stories of child abuse, especially as it relates to the church, and if I find or I'm reading a story that a school teacher, Sunday school teacher, or a pastor is being accused or tried for child molesting, I ask, well, what started this? What, what, what was the root of this? And, and I feel that pornography, because it is so easily and readily out there, is really the core of it. Um, there's porn on screens. There's porn behavior. There's porn in our school books. There's porn audio. There's porn websites. Even from our medical organizations and government agencies. If you haven't checked that out, you will be shocked when you do. Um, drag performances for families and kids and even in our libraries. Um, pride parades. Why is porn so... Um, malicious. Porn inflames and it corrupts. Innocence is lost. Um, porn creates wrong thinking. Uh, anyone that has um, fallen prey to uh, too much porn involvement knows when you come out of it, you are not thinking the same. Um, there's times when I have thoughts in my head and I immediately recognize, wait, that's that's a porn thinking. That's I'm objectifying. I'm I'm doing the result of what porn wants you to do. All of this is available to children, and it's increasingly being presented to them intentionally. Uh, we had a Sunday school teacher back here years ago. One of the craziest, funniest, most fun Sunday school teachers, uh, Joel Helwig, and. <laughs> You know, I mean, he even stretch your limits. So one time he had a science go class to the kids. And he said, okay, on your phones, kids. You know, kids have their phones. They, they didn't necessarily have them in science school. He said, how many times do you have to click before you get to a porn something? And they said two. And that was several years ago. So tell them, the kids, they know. That's, they're being exposed to it. Um, if you... Uh, go to our very own library. You will find children's books that are basically pornography that the kids are being allowed to read. We see so many things across the, the country where parents are coming to school board to say, I found this in my kid's class. Oh, you can't read it here. But I found it in my kid's class. Why is this happening? It's because we are not becoming like a child and going to Jesus. We are not becoming innocent and going to Him. Jesus doesn't say, make the kids like carnal or sinful adults to enter the kingdom. He says they must, you must become innocent and come to Jesus. So, you know, even back in Jesus' time, the the Secular society, society around them, society outside the church, the non-Christian society was carnal. Uh, one example is in Corinth, there was a big shrine for Aphrodite, and it was a you know that's a Greek goddess, but known as Venus in Rome and Diana or Artemis. You'll come across those in the Book of Acts. And suddenly, so there's this shrine for Aphrodite. Suddenly. Also, all the wives in the city didn't know why their husbands had become so spiritual. <laughs> all the men wanted to worship Aphrodite. Then they found out that in the temple of Aphrodite there was a brothel. But it was not even a traditional brothel. The prophetesses of Diana or Aphrodite were actually prostitutes. And suddenly, all the men started to come from the east and the west and the north and the south toward that city thinking they were actually completing a spiritual journey. This ritual prostitution only served to erode the family, eventually leading to the destruction of the nation. So this problem we're facing is nothing new under the sun. 
But it is happening, and we need to be aware. We need to be alert. We need to decide what we're going to do and accept. Um, I want to apologize for sometimes in my sermons talking too much about me, my experiences, um, some things that happened to me. Um, I realized while I was gone, man, I wonder if I was talking too much about myself. But I got to tell you something about myself today. <laughs> because it relates to this point I'm trying to make. And that is, as a child, I was taken by my parents into drinking parties and bars. As a child. And that's what I learned. I was shown porn magazines by my parents. I didn't have to go sneak and find them. I was shown it to them. Shown it. And that's what I learned. My parents weren't evil. They were simply deceived by Satan and the sexual revolution that was occurring at that time. And we're talking the early 60s. And this, this um, supposed sexual education that was going to be good for me and protect me, it groomed me for sexual immorality. And yet, we went to church regularly, three times a week. And I consider this proof positive that you can't have your child <coughs> church once a week, and between Sundays you let them get filled with the world and expect a godly result. I'm just saying it for me personally, and I believe that it applies. Yes. Well, my mother, um, she was starting to carry my little brother Roger Matthew, and I was still pretty little and all. And one day sat me down with a medical book and was showing on how her body is going to be changing and how the baby's going to be in there and growing the whole nine yards. But yet she did not tell me how that baby got there to begin with. Yeah, they found out yeah, soon enough. Yeah, she didn't tell me that. Yeah. Well, what I'm talking about, again, is opening up porn magazines mm -hmm. with um, people in the act of sex. And you know, this is how you do it. This epidemic of sex abuse is happening. <coughs> we need to protect our kids from abuse. I'm not saying we need to you know, go overboard and hide them out. And I, when I say we, our children, I'm talking about the children in our church, in our community. I'm not talking about just your biological children. I'm talking about we all have a responsibility for children in this community. And we even need to tell children under 18 that having sex is not okay. I wasn't told that. I was told how to do it. But children need to understand that. Well, you're not supposed to do married anyways. So why is they Exactly. Exactly. Um, because this um, having sex when you were really young, you're, you're too young to really be doing it, you're not married, um, it's the root of a lot of permanent trouble and damage. Um, Noah? Isn't this kind of why King Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 4.3, it's better for the unborn than to see the evil under the sun because he knows that they're going to see this evil? And so it's a choice that the child's not making for itself, but the one before the child is making for the child. They're going to say, well, it's okay because we know they're going to see this evil, but we'll have them anyway. Exactly. He said that. And he yeah. said nothing new under the sun, including yeah. Satan being the little G God of the world. So why don't we look at that scripture and use that to guide us, our teaching and our parenting? Well, we know the world hates these people. They hate the followers of Jesus. Yeah. They hate Jesus. So therefore, they're going to teach your kids if you try to steer them to Jesus. Yeah. So, um, Hildy, did you raise your hand? Well, yeah, I just was, um, it, it, I agree and understand that scripture. You know, I was just thinking of a scripture I recently found in Jeremiah 31, where it says, um, forget me, I'm reading it. It's basically that, you know, blessed are the people that have had children and, you know, um, is that what it says directly? Oh, it says, There's hope in your future, says the Lord, that your children should go back to their own daughter. I have surely heard Ephraim 
reminding himself, you have chastised me and I was chastised. Like an untrained bull, restore me and I will return. Um, What's it? Well, I just, you know, I'm just wondering what the, you know, like I'm not saying it's contradicting it, it's just... I think the point is this. Yes, there is redemption. But innocence is better. Amen. 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 Just the age that's really short, though, at the beginning of childhood. Innocence does not last past a certain age. You lose innocence, guaranteed. And what I'm, what I'm saying today is we, a Christian village, yeah. ought to be pursuing uh, keeping innocence in children and yeah. as long as possible. understanding that the world hates us for believing in Jesus. And Jesus himself said in the last days there will come a time when it's better for the unbarren womb, the one that has not had a child, and better for the breasts that have not nursed when the time of the desolation of abomination comes. And I personally believe that that's the final hours, the last days, and we're living in it. So yeah. we should be evangelizing, not spreading the, the evil. Exactly. And, and nor should we be sending our kids out into that Amen. evil, Amen. thinking Amen. they are mature enough to withstand it, when even we adults aren't good at withstanding it. Um, the other question I have is, why corrupt someone just so that you can redeem them later? Um, that's what we're doing when we say, well, if we don't send our children out and expose them to the world, how are they going to know how to deal with it? That isn't what's happening. What happens is they learn how to participate. Are you raising your hand, David? <laughs> if you scratch your hair, you know, that's close enough. I'm going to say it goes to my... If the children have the breastplate of righteousness and the sword of truth, there is, they have all the, the power that they need mm -hmm. to face the world. Yeah. And our job is to teach them that, yeah. to give them that, to bring them into it, because that's a spiritual gift, yeah. not a um, academic one. Absolutely. And that that's what I'm saying. We need to be doing that rather than sending them out into evil and letting them experience it because they're going to experience it anyway. Mm -hmm. It's sending them into the battlefield without the armor. There you go. Yeah. Good one. What do you say? All right, so I'm on my last one here now. <laughs> Hang in there. Um, children, Jesus says, children are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And it's wrong for us to think we should expose children to sin so that they can know how to deal with it as an adult. It's wrong. Somebody has to say that, and I'm saying it. And in the history of, this, of the world, has this ever worked? Sending the kid into the world and sinfulness and thinking that it'll bounce off of them. Has it ever worked? No. You, you guys back there pulling up Old Testament scriptures. Um, rather... We should hope that they learn to stay away. That's what we should be teaching our children. When you see evil, you should stay away from it. You can choose your neighborhood. You can choose your friends. And in fact, getting back to that Bible versus the world um, discussion, the Bible teaches us how to avoid sin. Jesus' brother says, you know, draw near to God, resist the devil, and he must flee. Not, um, you might as well go sin anyway because you're going to learn it and do it anyway. Bible doesn't say that. So, um, where do we find ourselves? Right now, um, teaching the LGBTQ ideology <coughs> and practices to children will promote immorality. It will inflame the carnal... Um, lust of the human heart and it will create all manner of psychological problems uh, if we're in ministry and we're working with people we know that to be true we see it as part of what our ministry is about um, actually I would say we're giving the kids uh, worship disorders worship disorders they're not worshiping the right father um, it's critical, the Bible tells us, to plant the word in the children and it will stay with them. And it will be there when they need it. Yeah, they might drift off 
But that word will be in them, and, and that will save them. Teaching the uh, current ideology of racism, equity, pagan religions, all of these things to children will create adults who reject Jesus. Because the very tenets of what's being taught is the opposite of what Jesus teaches. Okay? Getting back to that Bible and see what the Bible says versus what does the world say and how close can we get to it? Um, these teachers who are doing that are opposing heaven. Remember we talked about that? We, we read how Jesus said these children's angels are in heaven before the Father. We're opposing heaven if we're part and parcel of teaching these kids and hindering the, them from Jesus. Um, you know, when Jesus says that children are grace in the kingdom of heaven, remember he was saying it to the apostles. You know, they're going out. They've, they've given up everything to follow Jesus. And he's still telling them because they are hindering the children from coming to them. And we are to be like the children. We adults, a lot of times, the way we hinder the children is we don't give them our time. We don't give them our attention. We don't tell them they are loved. We don't tell them we love them. We don't hug them. Uh, we don't um, make them feel safe. We don't give them structure or boundaries. These are all ways that we hinder the children from coming to Jesus. You may not have thought about that before. But there's many ways to hinder children from coming to Jesus. I would interject just momentarily with that I heard even from a secular person. She was talking about how people complain that their children sit in their rooms as teenagers and they don't engage with their family and their parents and things like that. And her point was, well, how much have you engaged with them over their whole lives? How much time and attention did you give them? And she was talking about how it's a point in her family every week, at least whatever specific day it was. Phones go away, like there's no TV, there's nothing other than time as a family, coming together, talking, engaging, and again, showing those kids that are important, that they have the parents' attention and things like that. And that even her adult child moved out and was like, I'm still coming to family dinner, because that's, you know, it was an important thing. Yeah. And you have, you have to create that as a parent. Yeah. Um, the Bible tells us that God has given us a sound mind. <laughs> Why do we want to take that away from children? We should be using our sound mind to teach the children properly, to bring them to Jesus. Um, you know, the, the problem I've talked about today is so huge, and, and we can get overwhelmed. We can say, well, we can't save every child out there. True. But let's focus on who we can save. Let's focus on how we can, um, as a village, um, help children. And as we're helping children, we're getting into the families with the adults where we get a chance to help them as well. Amen. Well, you guys Amen. are patient today. Amen. Amen. Well, let's gather around and pray for one another.